Good evening and welcome to those who watch below. This is the first of our five Halloween specials, featuring a few of my creepy friends from across the internet, who have come together to help me tell some truly creepy, creepypastas based around the idea and themes of Halloween. So strap in and get ready for Five Nights of Chills, starting now. It was a cold, silent night. The wind whistled and howled, its gales rasping against the glass window pane. A waning crescent hung from the pitch-black sky, shrouded in the blue-tinted grey clouds. I stared through the telescope, my mind full of wonders, as my gaze met with the moon. Dormount was such a pretty village at night. Within my room, posters and photographs were affixed to the walls, displaying constellations, galaxies, skies, suns, moons and stars, all of which were my passion. From the ceiling, a solar system sent light flowing into my room. Peter, Peter. A sound, a low grumble. It opposed the usual night sounds of Dormount, of which usually consisted of cricket songs and rustling tree branches. And then, I realised the sounds must have belonged to Mother's voice, coming to check up on me. I leapt into my bedsheets, switching off the lights in such a quick sequence I had forgotten I had even done so. Mother would kill me if she caught me awake at this time of night again. Pumpkin eater. Footsteps. The grumble I had heard earlier sounded again. Except this time, I could interpret them as faint words. Was Mother talking to someone? But who? We were the only ones who were here, since Father was at work, as far as I knew. Lightning flashed. It sent light flooding into the room, lighting up my reflection in the mirror opposite me in my bed. I had a wife, but couldn't keep her. The sound grew louder. No, closer. A screeching sound caused my eardrums to throb with pain. It was so loud it was unbearable. It was as if metal was being dragged across the floorboards, coming closer and closer. Closer and closer. By now, I had begun to call out, Mother, is that you? But my voice was overcome by the metallic screeches. He put her in a pumpkin shell. Now, it was clear to me someone was singing a melody of some sorts. It was too masculine and low-pitched to be my mother's voice, though who else could it be? Paranoia ached through my bones, dreading the thought of a stranger inside my own home. The screeching got louder. My heart beat furiously against my chest, as if trying to escape the girl that it held prisoner. Each of my breaths were shaky, whilst every part of my body trembled in uttermost fear. And there he kept her very well. I bit my lip. For some reason, I couldn't convince myself everything was okay. I couldn't convince myself that it was anything but danger. I couldn't. I couldn't function. I was too afraid. Afraid of what was behind the door, of what was singing this eerie symphony. Another flash of lightning sent shivers down my spine, lighting up the mirror across the room. 
but in the briefest showcase of my reflection, I wasn't alone. Peter, Peter, pumpkin eater. The words were unmistakable. Not only that, but something had been standing in the doorway. I'd been sure of it. My inner instincts told me to hide, hide beneath my bedsheets and quilts, build a fortress of pillows and never leave. But I was frozen, frozen still in the unnerving, uncomfortable position that I always try to avoid sleeping in. The sound of multiple throbbing heartbeats echoed constantly in my mind, always there. Slam. The sound of my window shutting. Had another and didn't he love her? My stomach twisted and turned inside my body as each word entered my ears. At this moment I leapt out of my bed, shuffling to a corner of the room. I clung onto my teddy bear tightly and began to cry, as any fourteen-year-old would do. Father, if you're playing a trick on me, I swear, I yelled, my voice cracking and shattering as it left my throat, interrupting myself. An unnerving silence gave me time to lift the tears shrouding my eyes, and there I saw a shadowy figure, standing in the darkness. Lightning lit the yellowish-white silhouette of a toothy grin. Up the chimney he did shove her. This line stood out from the rest, as if the man before me was telling me my fate. He whispered it in a very eerie tone, staring down at me with one hand gripping the axe, the other the scissors. Peter, Peter, the pumpkin eater. Those were my final words, despite the fact I'm not sure I was the one speaking them. Pumpkin Eater Police Case Log number 143, 6th of June, 1986 The case on the 14-year-old victim, Janice Brayford, and her 39-year-old mother, Mary Brayford, has finally been concluded. Each of their corpses has been found together in the chimney of their own home. It seems the Pumpkin Eater, who is usually known to cut up his victims and stuff the remains into pumpkin shells, has more than just one method of killing. This time, it seems the two corpses were tormented with a sharp unidentified object, as their eyes were gouged out, along with the daughter's tongue. Then, the two must have been forcefully shoved up the compact chimney and secured with barbed wire, perhaps even alive, for it would seem they both suffocated on soot before dying of blood loss. The idea of them being alive has been sparked from multiple scratches seeming to have originated from human nails in the inside of the chimney. Both victims had multiple and even broken nails to support this theory. No clues were left behind for us to know who the killer was. It may not even be the pumpkin eater, but it seems to be too similar a case to not relate somehow. This is so funny. I never heard of black-eyed kids before my incident, so I come on here to post my story, and the first story I see is about a black-eyed kid. Weird. Let me preface this by saying I'm by no means a writer, just a domestic engineer living in North Texas. Also, I don't believe in the paranormal, ghosts, demons, aliens, whatever. However, I did have an event happen to me this Halloween, 
However, I did have an event happen to me this Halloween, I have to admit, has me scratching my head. This is my first post on Reddit, and sorry to say, I've never even heard about it until yesterday. I told my best friend about my incident, and she's an avid reader of No Sleep, and she told me if I didn't post it, she would. So, here I am. Anyway, hope you like. So, it had been a slow trick-or-treat night in our neighborhood that evening, which is pretty odd in itself. We usually have kids from different areas dropped off in ours and have a constant parade at our door. That night, I'd say we'd had more than eight or ten groups of kids come by the entire night. It was about 9.30pm and my husband and I were sitting in our family room watching some of those ghost shows based on supposedly actual events. Like I said, I don't believe in that stuff, but I do like a good ghost story now and then, and it was Halloween and all. We hadn't had any activity at the door in over half an hour and it was getting late, so we decided to turn the porch light off and let our dog Chloe out of her crate. Chloe is an American bulldog and is very docile. We put her in her crate because we were afraid she'd try to get out to play with all the kids and I didn't want to have to chase after her down the street. Also, we didn't want her to scare off the kids because she would look a little intimidating to the younger kids. So I turned the outside light off, let Chloe out, and she followed me back to the couch and lay down at my feet. It was getting close to 10pm when my husband decided he'd had enough fun for the night and was going to go upstairs, take a shower, and get ready for bed. After all, it was Thursday and he still had to get up early the next day. My teenage son was out with his friends at a local haunted house and wasn't expected back for another hour or so, so and that left me alone on the couch with Chloe. Now, just because I don't believe doesn't mean those shows don't freak me out a bit. And being alone now watching, I'd have to say I was kind of on edge as it were. It wasn't long after I heard the upstairs water for the shower turn on when there came a light knock 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 at the front door. My initial reaction was, what the hell? Really? It's almost ten, go home. But soon an uneasy feeling came over me. Why the knock? Our doorbell glows in the dark, and without the porch light it would be extra obvious to anyone there. I paused. I couldn't really just ignore it. Our front door has a big beveled glass panel, and anybody right at the door could see in enough to see someone was in the family room watching TV. It would be pretty rude for me to just sit there and not answer it. Knock, knock, knock again from the door. I glanced down at Chloe and she was gone. My gaze followed her usual path to the front door expecting her to be on her way there as she normally does. Nothing. She wasn't there. I stood up to look around the room better and found her crouching by the back door like she was wanting out. 
However, she never asks to go out like that. She always comes and licks my hand or puts her head on my knee. This was totally out of character for her, and I have to say, heightened my anxiety. Chloe, crate, I said. She just turned back to look at me. Like, hell no, lady, I ain't moving. I yelled up to my husband, but if he was already in the shower, I knew there was no chance of him hearing me. Knock, knock, knock. About that time, a car drove down our street and cast enough light on the door to where I could see the silhouettes of two small children through the glass. I instantly felt relief. It was just some kids, probably a couple of my neighbors on their way back home that wanted to stop by and show me their costume or something. I headed out the door and looked back to make sure Chloe wasn't going to follow. What a great watchdog, I thought to myself as she just sat there. I turned on the porch light when I got to the door and sure enough, I could see through the glass that it was a couple of pretty small kids. A little late for such young ones, I thought, and I began to wonder about what kind of parents would let their kids run the streets that late at night. I only opened the door enough to where I could block Chloe's escape if she decided to grow some balls, which was only about two feet. What struck me immediately as odd was the kids weren't wearing any costumes, and they were in normal street clothes. Also, no customary trick-or-treat either. I began to feel very uneasy again. It was a girl and a boy. The girl to my left was older, I'd say about 11 or 12. I could tell she was blonde, but I couldn't make out any distinct features as our lights are from high above and on columns at the front of the porch so most of the light was coming from behind them. I had not opened the door wide enough for any light from inside to hit them directly. The boy was younger and about a foot shorter, I'd say eight or nine, and looked to have light brown hair. The girl very politely spoke up. Ma'am, can we please come inside and use your phone to call our mom? As she spoke, something in the pit of my stomach was telling me something was wrong. What kid, even at that age, doesn't have a cell phone of their own these days? I couldn't remember the last time I'd had anybody asked to use my home phone. Um, hun, don't you have a phone of your own you can call your mom on? I asked. This was when things really got weird. Both kids turned to look at one another like they were going to say something to one another, but neither ever spoke. They both turned back to me and the girl said, Ma'am, my cell phone battery doesn't have any charge left in it. Can we please come inside and call our mother? We're alone out here and my brother is scared. I have to admit there were two competing feelings going on inside me. The first, that of a mother's heart that wanted to help these two small children get to their mom. The other, a sinking fear in my gut that was keeping the other feeling at bay. It was then I noticed that during the short conversation I'd already opened the door a few extra inches which 
I was completely unaware of doing. I stopped. Honey, why don't you give me your mother's phone number so I can call her myself? Another pause, and they again looked at one another. After a short moment, they turned back to me, and the girl said, Ma'am, my little brother has to use your bathroom. Can we please come inside while you call our mom? And with that last statement, the little girl moved closer toward the door like she was going to just walk it on in by me. As she did, she stepped into the light coming from inside the house, and I got my first real good look at her. Solid, jet black eyes. That's all I could see. That motherly instinct was gone and replaced by terror I don't think I've ever felt in my life. I could feel every hair on my arms and back of my neck standing at attention. I closed the door to where just my face was able to stick out. The little girl stopped again and pleaded, Please, ma'am, we're really scared and alone out here. We really have to come inside. Please help us. Then, like on cue, both kids began to whimper and cry. That's when the fear took over and I shut and locked the door. I'll call your mom if you give me the number, I shouted through the door. But I'm not letting you in my house. I could still see them stand there on the porch, just staring at me through the beveled glass pane. Part of me wanted to run upstairs to my husband, but the bigger part didn't want to lose track of where they were. That would have freaked me out even more not to know where they were. After what seemed like forever, but probably only a few seconds, I decided I'd call my neighbor that lives across the street. As I made my way to the side table by our couch to my phone, I glanced back at the door. Chloe was nowhere to be found. We later found her in the guest room under the bed. When I got to my phone and started to look for his contact info, it was only then the kid stepped away from the door and began to walk to the street. As they did, I walked to the door to get a better look to see where they went, still not calling my neighbor. If you get close enough to the glass, you can see out enough to make out people's shapes, but you can't see much detail. Of course, standing that close to the door would make you pretty obvious to anyone outside looking in. From the door, I could see that the kids were still standing under the street lamp nearest my house, staring at me. As I lifted the phone to my ear after calling, only then... The kids started walking down our street. I met my neighbor out under the lamp once he was out there, but the kids were nowhere to be seen. Like I said, I don't believe in any of this stuff and had never even heard about black-eyed kids before talking to my friend. What I really think, what I have to think, is these kids were just out yanking people's chains on Halloween night. But... I will say this for them. They were good. Really good at it. They scared the shit out of me and my dog. The head-pounding knock at the door comes for the 28th time that same night. Having to abandon my cooking once again, 
I promptly hustled out to the doorway, orange bowl filled to the brim with a variety of homemade candies made by yours truly. Trick or treat, the toddler squeaks. As he looks up at me, the dinosaur hoodie droops over his beady eyes. What a nice costume, I sigh, grabbing a handful of candies and dumping them in the half-full pillow sack. Thank you, he says as he waddles down my porch steps and back to his dad. I slowly shut the door closed and retreat to the kitchen. I quickly pull my golden-coloured chicken out of the steaming oven and onto the counter, where I begin to bombard it with spices of all sorts. I do feel the slightest feeling of guilt. I mostly enjoy handing out my candies to the troublesome teenagers. As the older they are, the more I give them. It's really just a fun-sized chocolate bar filled with a dash of vodka and some meth. I usually individually wrap them with pink or purple ribbons to make it look cheesy. Ever since I began giving out these candies, which has been for well over three years now, no one has accused me yet of their children waking up in the morning, vomiting and sweating, until they either drop dead or take a visit to the hospital. After all, I'm not the only one that does it in the neighbourhood. There's Peter down the street that hands out similar homemade lollipops that appear to be store-bought. I have to admit, I've really outdone myself this time. The chicken looked great and ready to devour. Before I can bring it to the dining table, I hear the knocking at the door for the 29th time. The knock sounds hard, shaking the floor. Shocked, I peek through a small crack I make in the door and see a small boy, about six or seven years old, wearing a small little white mask, similar to the Jappawaki's dance crew mask. He is wearing a black hoodie and black jeans. He stands there, staring at me from the mask. I grab the bowl of candy off the drawers behind me and hold it out to him. Take a candy. Your costume scared me. He peeks down at the candy and looks back up at me. I know your secret, Anne. A ghostly voice cold as ice mutters. His voice shoots chills through my body. How did he know my name? Where were his parents? He remained silent after this statement, waiting for my reaction. What do you mean? I stammer. Your candies are drugged. They made my friend sick. Following this statement, he slapped the bowl out of my shaking hands, scattering candy all over my porch. The bowl shatters upon impact. What's your problem, kid? Pick that up now! I shout, stomping out my door. The child tilts his head, appearing to be confused at this statement. You heard me. Pick up my candy, I repeat. He shakes his head, backing up a couple of steps. Well, how would you like it if I slapped your candy bag out of your hands? Not very nice, huh? Now pick up my goddamn candy. He shrieked a high-pitched scream and ran down the steps of my porch and across the street. Hey, get back here, I shout, slamming the door behind me and slipping on my slippers. I sprint across the street and past innocent children in costumes and bewildered parents. I manage to see a small, dark figure pushing his way past others. He turns onto the next street, crowded with cars and screaming kids. At least this street is lit up. I could clearly see him far ahead on the uneven pavement, but he was far too fast. He turned the next street very quickly, causing me to lose him. Grumpily, 
I made my way back home to see kids huddled on my porch, taking fistfuls of chocolates like a piñata just burst. I make my way up my porch and realize my front door's locked. The kids, watching me curse at the starry sky, flee towards their angered parents and quickly make their way onward. Luckily, I usually kept my back door unlocked, so I hop my fence and manage to make my way into my nice, cosy house. Locking the door behind me, I turn on my porch lights and return to the kitchen. Great. Just great. The chicken was now cold. Ruined. I don't think I could have had a worse Halloween night. I decide to clean up my porch. I make sure to unlock the door this time and head outside. I grab two handfuls of candy and bring them inside to put in a fresh bowl. I bring the bowl outside and begin to clean up. Finally, when every candy is returned to the bowl and every last shard of orange bowl was swept up, I felt a whole lot better, considering Halloween night was almost over as it was 11 o'clock. I decide to bring a chair out and sit on the porch for the rest of the night. Only a couple of guests attend, all teens. Once the last light on the street turned off, I returned back inside, feeling a little better, but still very exasperated. With the remainder of the night, I popped in one of my old horror movie flicks, Hellraiser, into the VHS, and began to doze off on the glumpy couch next to my bowl of steamy, buttery popcorn. Before I completely fall asleep, a loud knocking comes from my door. What in the world? I mutter, bolting up from the couch. I swing the door handle and shout, Go home, it's past midnight, you... I pause. It's the boy in the black hoodie. Before I have a chance to react, he disappears across the street once again. You best run away, before I call the cops on you, I scream. Get away from my house. With all my force, I slam the door shut and lock it. Just in case, I grab a knife from the kitchen and return to the couch, ready to scare off any late-night visitors. I get to the couch and lie down like nothing happened. The movie is near the ending, the same ending I've watched as a kid, as a teen. The movie was long finished, and I turned off the television. I had fallen asleep on the couch for no apparent reason, and began to doze off once again. I believe I got about two hours of sleep before I heard my back gate creaking open. Now, fully awake and alert, I grabbed the sharp knife off the floor. I quickly flicked on my light switch and stared at my sliding doors, eyes round as quarters. For about fifteen minutes, All I could see was the sprinklers lying dormant in the middle of my lawn, and the flowers swaying in the gentle wind. Just when I thought it was my mind being paranoid, I hear yet another knock at my door. It's the same knock as the other two, shaking the floor, causing me to jump out of my skin. I dare not open the door, as that child might be there. I creep towards a nearby window in my bedroom, that reveals a part of my porch. Slowly and quietly, I move the shades on the window. Slowly. Slowly. I don't want to draw any attention. I open the shades just enough to peek through without any suspicion. I see the same little black hoodie 
sitting on my porch steps, waiting for me to answer. He seemed harmless. Maybe he just needed help and was afraid. But then again, he knew my name and my secret. No, I should probably leave him there. He might leave. I inspect his every movement, making sure he is doing nothing harmful or anything that would damage my property for the next 20 minutes. Just when I think he's going to get up and leave, he stands up and whispers something to himself, but I hear it loud and clear. I know you're watching me through the window. Come out here now. His voice is soft and ghostly. His words seem to pass right through me, shaking me right down to my core. I jolt back from the shades, heart racing. This cannot be happening. I need to wake up. I scramble out of my room and into the living room. I needed to act fast before this boy caused me any harm. Without thinking, I shout, What do you want from me anyway? This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. There was no response. The only noise I could hear with my delicate ears is the wind picking up dead, crunchy leaves. I decided to call Peter for help. The only thing the police would do would be to lock me up for my candy. I punch in the numbers, heart feeling like it'll leap out of my chest any minute now. To my infinite joy, Peter picked up. Anne? What, what are you still doing awake? Pete, you've got to help me. There's a little boy that won't leave me alone. I think he's some kind of spirit. Jeez, Anne. Did you eat one of your own candies by accident? Listen, I'll come over to you. But I swear, nothing's wrong. Peter hung up shortly as I sat on the couch, miserable. Peter called me five minutes later. Help me, Peter says in an agonized voice. He strains the words out slowly. Pete? You okay? Pete! I cry. The boy. Peter mutters, hanging up. Tears streaming from my face, I sprint out to the door to see Peter standing on my lawn, cackling like an idiot. You asshole, I sob, socking him in the chest. Do you know how hard this night has been? Sorry, sorry, he holds in a laugh. It's just that, just shut up, I shout clenching my fists. This boy has been tormenting me for hours now. For all I know, he could be inside my house right now wrecking everything. I shove Peter and storm off into my house, furious at the boy, furious at Peter, furious at myself. I climb into bed and scream. I begin to cry a river as Peter hustles down the sidewalk, laughing. As I sob in the darkness of my eerie room, I hear the shattering of glass. 
probably my sliding doors. Springing into action, but still sobbing, I grab the knife that was sitting on my nightstand and roll under my bed, the best hiding spot I could think of at the time. I hear small, soft footsteps on my wooden floor outside the room. I control my sobs as much as I can, as the shadow of tiny feet pass by my door. The feet return and head into the room. The door creaks open, and the black hooded child wearing the white mask tiptoes inside, holding a glass shard from my sliding doors that he broke. I don't even have to look, Anne. You're under the bed holding a knife, wishing for Peter. Just come on out. I begin to sob uncontrollably as the boy crouches down and gives me a good old stare. He offers me a tiny hand. So friendly. So innocent. With pleasure, I bring the knife down on the boy's hand, creating a large gaping gash in it. He lets out an inhuman roar as he retreats, leaving enough time to run out of the room. He chases after me with ridiculous speed, diving on top of my back and slicing at the back of my neck. I throw the boy off me, sending him down onto the wooden floor. I jog into the living room, grasping my wound with one hand and my knife in the other, to prepare myself for the worst. What I see limping around the corner is no longer a child. It is a pale, skinny, bony monster, still wearing the same mask and the same hoodie, hissing and spewing out black liquids that appear to be blood. It scurries across the floor and grabs onto my ankle, biting at it. I slice halfway through its neck, causing it to let go for a moment. The pale figure squeals as it makes its final lunge at me. I plunge the knife through the mask, causing it to go limp and hit the floor. As the monster slams to the black carpet, I wake up in a padded cell, hair a mess, limbs aching. There was no boy with a white mask, no monster, but there were candies that I confessed to giving out, and there was Peter who's now dead. I peer at my door, where a figure, out of sight, knocks for the thirtieth time. I used to be in a metalcore band that was pretty prominent in the little Texas border town we had all grown up in. We were constantly getting invited to play shows out of town, and depending on the transportation we had at the time, we would usually accept the offers graciously. This one time though, we get this invitation to play a Halloween gig at this virtually unknown honky-tonky way out in the middle of nowhere. We had a reliable van at the time, and they offered us $100 and an open bar, so there was really nothing keeping us from playing the gig. I go check out the hall a few days before the show. The place seemed a tad ghetto, but nice enough for a metal show. The entire interior was dark wood, giving off the illusion that the place was bigger than it actually was. It reeked of cleaning supplies, and the only tables and chairs were folding ones. 
In the bar was a kitchenette with a large fridge. The man that showed me around the place seemed nervous, constantly looking over at the door to the back room behind the stage. I didn't think to ask him about it, but made a mental note to bring up everything sketchy I experienced at the next band meeting. Although it had no effect on them, the show was set in stone. So Halloween finally comes, and me and the boys pack up the van and make our way out of town. Before we manage to pass the city limits though, I get a call from a friend of mine. He's a big Mexican guy, really nice, although some of his relatives rolled with some pretty sleazy posses. He didn't know about the show, so he immediately asked me if I wanted to hang and check out some haunted spots. I tell him no, that I had to play a show, and I was really sorry for not thinking to tell him about it. He jokes that we should swing back and pick him up, which to his surprise, we actually did. So after we pick up my friend, we head down to the venue. As soon as we pull off the freeway and onto the two-lane blacktop, my friend begins to act strange. He's looking off into the fields, his eyes wide. Finally, the venue is in sight. There seems to be tons of cars parked around the building. We were thinking, alright, we got a good turnout. Our celebration was cut short by my friend, who let out a loud cry. Not there, he yelled. Turn around, now! We pulled to the side of the road, honestly concerned as to what had gotten my friend so worked up. It didn't take any probing to get him to tell the story. With a terrified look on his face, he told us that the cartel ran the bar and one of the ways they made their money was luring bands to their bar, killing them, and selling off their cars and instruments. We turned around and went home. Strange thing was, the promoters never contacted us about the missing show. Hey again guys, really hope you enjoyed tonight's stories. Big shout out and thank you to Creepy Mrs. Pasta and Hero to Villain for helping me narrate tonight's stories. If you are still in the creepy mood, make sure to come back tomorrow night where we will have another four stories with another two narrators. So, until next time, sleep tight.